This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, we're going to try to make some history here on this episode of the Compositors Are Recruits. We're going to speed run the fastest episode in pod- our podcast's history. That's a, that's a gaming thing, right? Speed run? A speed run through the podcast? Yeah. I don't think too many of our listeners, the ones that actually like the podcast, want us to speed through all these topics, but uh, it could be a challenge. It could be, you know, something that we do just to do it, but uh, maybe we do a speed run and then people that like the four hour podcast, just play it really slowly. Right. I I don't know what the slowest you can play us at. I think it's only like point, no wait, 0.5 is faster. I don't know what the slowest you can do us at, but uh, uh, I would, I would be interested to see what that actually turns out to be but it is spring break so there's not a ton of things to talk about obviously usc football is on break recruiting never stops though gerard because there is a big visitor list happening this weekend a big passing tournament happening this weekend so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about a new 2023 yes 2023 offer out there i went to a linebacker camp over the weekend Top four, new Holy Hour visitor, uh, another big offensive lineman visiting at the end of the month. And then we got a couple of listener questions. So not a ton to talk about, but some stuff. And we'll see how long that's going to take us. But before we jump into all that, just a reminder that a thank you isn't necessary for the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. That is Meredith Schlosser, the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles. You can learn more about her and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. So again, thank you to Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. Gerard, are you ready to get a little crazy? I'm ready. I got my DPS bill. I'm ready to run through this podcast. Let's go, Chris. Don't. Don't go down because I'm not going to revive you. Okay, I, I will. I will not go down. I will not go down. I'll do my best. But cold open today. USC made a 2023, yes, 2023 offer to a former Notre Dame signee that is Brandon Hillman, a six foot one, 190 pound athlete out of Portsmouth, Virginia, Churchland High School, consensus four star prospect. A number, sorry, not a number. He is number 214, number nine athlete in the composite two-star. Oh, my God, I did it again. The 24-7 composite rankings, and he's number 130, number seven athlete in the 24-7 sports ranking. Like I said, he was a Notre Dame commit. 
and then a Notre Dame signee signed in December. But on Sunday, I believe, he put out a post on his social media that he was asking to be released from his uh, letter of intent from Notre Dame and that he was granted his release from Notre Dame. So he is back on the market. He's a free agent to do his uh, recruitment all over again here at the end. Since he has uh, decommitted or been released, he has posted offers from USC, Ohio State, LSU, Michigan, Virginia, Boston College, Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, and Louisville. Like I said, he is a six foot one, 191 pound athlete, but he was projected to play safety for the Fighting Irish. I would assume that this is a safety offer as well for USC. He tweeted a picture of uh, Kalen Bullock. He actually used a uscfootball.com uh, photo, so maybe he's trying to tell us something there, but it appears that he would be a safety uh, for USC if he was to go to USC. So, Gerard, my question is. Do you think USC needs another safety? Because they seem to think that they need another safety. That's a difficult question to answer maybe at this point in spring football, you know, because we need to kind of see what some of these young guys are going to look like when we actually get into the bulk of spring football. Now, you got Kalen Bullock there. He's going to be draft eligible after this season. Max Williams is probably going to be gone after this season. Latrell McCutcheon, I believe, is going to be draft eligible. And but he will not be drafted. He needs more tape. Well, yeah. that Well, there's a difference between being draft eligible in terms of the years that you have in college and having the tape to get drafted. And one thing doesn't necessarily lead to the other. And we've seen plenty of guys that don't have enough film and don't have good enough film to enter the NFL draft, and they still do. And then they end up being undrafted sometimes they end up being uh, undrafted free agents that get signed later on, but nevertheless leave school early. So Bryson Shaw, uh, Jalen Smith, I believe, is in that group. You know, he's got, uh, including uh, the, the COVID waiver, I think he's in his junior season technically. And so you've got uh, some of these guys in, in the defensive and secondary really the past couple of years has been pretty young. In fact, when we talked about the 2023 class, we talked about the safety position and how. You know, just in general, USC had a bulk of underclassmen in the secondary. Now, that's starting to shake out a little bit. Now you're starting to see these guys get into their junior years, their their junior seasons from an eligibility standpoint, and that is going to give you a bulk of guys that are going to leave possibly at the same time. We don't expect all of them to leave at the same time, but uh, you have a couple names there maybe two, three guys out of that group that I mentioned, which I could see them leaving and going. Now, do you go after another safety in the 2023 class? The biggest question for me is, okay, what do you, how confident are you in Zion Branch? What do you think of Christian Pierce? And I think it's too early on in spring ball for both of those players because, you know, Zion Branch got hurt uh, before he really got into camp and could really do anything. Christian Pierce has, you know, had his first week of practice. Um, you still have Fabian Ross there, who I think is a little more of a slot safety than a true outside corner. Uh, we're going to see what happens with Malachi Crawford. You know, he's 6'4", 190 pounds. So it's one of those things where we have to sort of let the depth chart evolve a little bit after spring ball for me to be confident and say, yeah, for sure, USC needs another safety. They obviously feel like Hillman 
can contribute to the team. Now, they actually re-offered Hillman. This is not a new scholarship offer. This is a mm-hmm. re-offer because they did recruit him before he committed to Notre Dame. He got a scholarship offer, really did not entertain any interest in USC whatsoever. We reached out to a couple of people, tried to uh, nail down a phone number for him, and it was basically implied to us USC is not really in it. And so, you know, he coming out of high school was uh, really more of a quarterback, known as a quarterback, um, and he's a very good, you know, dual threat type of quarterback. But I think system-wise, he feels like his ceiling is highest playing defensive back. So he's kind of focused on that now. And I think, you know, a lot of schools probably talking to him out of high school, they felt that way. Uh, Whether they conveyed that to him or not remains to be seen. Sometimes schools will just say, hey, we like you as an athlete because for fear that if they say, hey, you're a defensive back um, and he still wants to play quarterback, he might take offense to that. And that obviously sours the relationship, uh, certainly initially when you offer a scholarship. So I'm not 100 percent sure if USC came out of the gates and said, hey, man, we think you're a safety or we think you're a cornerback or what have you. And he didn't have interest in that, or it was just a matter of playing away from home. I know at this point, a lot of people are talking about Michigan. Now, he leaves Notre Dame, or he uh, gets out of his letter of intent for personal reasons. The most we've been able to kind of dig up about that is it sounds like it was something academic. Uh, It was an issue with the admin, and it, it seems like an issue with his enrollment. So not 100% sure. I don't know if anybody's going to know for sure unless later on the line, you know, one of the coaches uh, at Notre Dame social divulges the uh, divulges the the background and sort of what happened and 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 how it came to be. Certainly if he ends up at USC, a lot of people are going to want to know what the hell happened. Uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan, uh, kind of sort of one of those things like Jay Toya where uh, you got a guy that, um, you know, I mean, with Jay Toya's case, he was actually in at USC, enrolled, uh, participated in spring ball, had a good spring game, and then it was like a couple weeks later he ends up transferring over to UCLA. So you can imagine USC fans were not happy with that. But certainly Notre Dame fans wouldn't be happy if he ended up at USC. And like I said before, USC really – they recruited him, they offered him a scholarship, but really weren't in the picture for him coming out of high school initially. And as far as we know, does getting out of the letter of intent, does that reset his – his recruitment is he allowed to take five official visits again that's a reset. good question i know it resets with the coaching like if you get a new head coach that was a new rule but it, this feels like obviously different and does should he be allowed to get five fresh official visits well there's two questions there should he be allowed and is he allowed there's a short sure. i i i, I frame that badly a different a yes. question that's an opinion probably not i mean i'm not 100 percent sure why transfers get five more official visits? That kind of seems like a lot. Or like I could see maybe you get two or I don't know. It doesn't seem like if you went through the recruiting process already before. I realize you're older now, but many times it's you know a couple years later. Have you really changed your opinion that much on what you're looking for in a college because you went somewhere and you didn't like it or you you know didn't play or what have you? In this particular situation, obviously. Uh, something that went on with the Notre Dame administration. He had some issues, you know, has his opinions on schools changed so much, you know, is USC all of a sudden now a potential landing spot because of the season they had, et cetera. I mean, you know, he signed with Notre Dame in December, I believe. So USC had already put together a pretty decent season. 
I don't know why USC would be looked at differently now than it was just a few months ago, quite frankly. I mean, it's not that long ago when he decided to sign with Notre Dame. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Is, is the answer to the, to, the, to the first question, is he allowed to reset his clock completely as a recruit and go through the process all over again uh, as he was a transfer, or is he still kind of on the tail end of his recruitment, which I, off the top of my head, and I don't have his uh, profile in front of me, I don't know if he took all five of his official visits. I, I want to say he took two official visits. Luckily, with the power of internet, I can check. Including oh, one in Notre Dame. So I can't remember off the top of my head um, if he took all his official visits. But I know he didn't take an official visit to USC. And as I said before, didn't really entertain much interest from USC uh, beyond uh, getting that scholarship offer and saying, thanks, I'm blessed, and moving on. It shows that he, like you said, only took two official visits. That was to Notre Dame, to Kentucky randomly, and he also had an unofficial visit to Virginia Tech. Those seem to be the only visits that he made uh, before leading up to his signing in December. So theoretically, if he doesn't reset, he has three more at his disposal. You know, Michigan has seems to be a big player right now. I don't bank on USC maybe getting a visit, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they would uh they were to get one. So it is definitely an interesting offer this late in the game. You know, USC is still in the mix for another 23 in Deuce Robinson, but it just goes to show Gerard that uh you never know what's going to happen super super late in the process. I did have a sort of follow up question, not necessarily related to Hillman, but as an athlete prospect, is there a prospect you remember covering? that was sort of an athlete and you thought maybe started off on the wrong side of the ball. They Juju, Smith. Juju, Juju Smith. Smith. We all thought Juju Smith was a safety all day long. He's going to be a pro if he plays safety. Shoot. He played linebacker at the Under Armour game. So, you know, Juju was a guy that Long Beach Poly, he played running back. He did a little bit of wildcat quarterback. He obviously played receiver and he played safety. And with his body, and his physicality and really his speed at that point, safety seemed to be the better bet for him. He was instinctual, but a lot of his instincts were what made him quick on the defensive side of the ball. Whereas offense, you kind of just have to be fast. And as a receiver, certainly you have to have good times and you have to be fast. And he didn't clock super well coming out of high school. And so 100%. It was okay. USC is recruiting him as a receiver, wink, wink. And, you know, in a week or two, he'll be over there playing safety. And he has the potential of being an NFL type player as a safety. And lo and behold, he just was making plays and just kept catching the ball. And he was just so good at, at catching contested passes. And he was very physical. So it was really impossible to jam him at the line of scrimmage. And he ended up being a wide receiver and going to the NFL and still having a very good NFL career. So, I mean, off the top of my head, immediately, one of those guys that's a quote-unquote athlete that you think, okay, there's a specific position that he's going to play despite the athlete tag, Juju Smith was one of those guys. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I remember interviewing him at Disney World. This was the year they went to the Rose Bowl, and he was, like, teasing the possibility of coming back next year and playing safety for the defense. I didn't believe it for a second, but it seems like every two-way athlete always, you know, does the thing where they 
talk about, oh, I'll maybe go to the back to the other side. Same thing with uh, Brew McCoy, where, you know, everyone wanted him to play linebacker and, and such. So that's a good one. Juju Smith's future, which I, uh, I have context for that because I feel like I started I moved here right when Juju was, I believe, you know, in his senior year at Long Beach Poly. So I do have a little bit more context. I, I thought you were going to say somebody from a, a longer time ago. So I'm no, glad. I mean, Marky Smith was Marky, Marky Smith. Marky Lee. <laughs> uh, Juju Smith. Juju Smith and Marky Lee. My athletes. Marky Lee was another guy that out of high school, uh, USC was already well after Robert Woods. Robert Woods was the marquee player early on at Sarah uh, during that era. And Marquis Lee sort of started intriguing people. He was a really good athlete, played a lot of basketball, but wasn't really a football player. And I remember having a conversation with the USC coach at the time, and that was Lane Kiffin's staff, and they thought maybe he was going to play cornerback at that point. They weren't sold that he could play receiver or he was going to be a guy that – I think from a just experience standpoint, you know, being savvy enough to play receiver and doing a lot of things that Robert Woods did. And and certainly when you've got, you know, two guys there, they're in that six foot, six foot one range, and they're kind of similarly built to, and I'm, and I'm reaching there because really Marquise Lee was a very long type of player. He was built kind of uniquely, uh, whereas Robert Woods was a pretty much straightforward flanker. And, you know, they both ran track. And, and of course, the next class, everybody was salivating over George Farmer because he was like the really big get. You know, dad played for the Rams. And, you know, George coming out of high school was was probably 6'1", 205, 210. He was running a 4'3". So the year before, everybody's like, OK, we need to build this pipeline. We need to get Woody. And um, this Marquis Lee kid's kind of interesting, too. And so, yeah, I remember several schools looking at him and saying, Nah, you know, we think he's going to be defensive back. And and USC saying he was going to be defensive back. And I think USC wasn't completely sold until Lane got him in fall camp and was able to get him out there just to make some plays and kind of fight for him to be on the offensive side of the football. And so, you know, Lane is always looking for offensive talent and certainly at receiver. He was a former receivers coach. So that just sort of made sense. And, you know, when he made those plays and <clears throat> just ended up being a guy that could catch the ball became so enamored with him that you know eventually kind of force fed him the football uh his uh junior or see that was his sophomore year uh whereas you know Robert Woods was a junior and it kind of overshadowed Robert Woods to some extent which was unfortunate because and I think I've told this story on podcasts before that really undermined a little bit of the uh the 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 chain of command, if you will, within the locker room among the players, because Robert Woods was the exemplary type of student athlete. And he was such a great example for everybody on that football team because he kept his nose clean. He was a kid that uh, worked really hard um, off the field, good student. He was a great team leader. He was a guy that was vocal when he needed to be vocal, but he really led by example. And Marquise being kind of new to football really didn't understand that dynamic. And I think he kind of got pushed into that number one receiver role by Lane because Lane's eyes got really big when he saw this guy, you know, with the ball in his hands, you know, Woody's a guy that's going to be a first or second round pick, you know, he's going to get his catches. 
He's really a technician. He's a great player, but this guy, Marquise Lee, might be the next Reggie Bush is basically, I think, what was in Lane's mind without you know speaking for Lane. But at that particular time, you could see where it was like, man, this guy, he's a touchdown waiting to happen. We got to get him the football more. And it came at the expense of Robert Woods. And so, you know, the joke around the locker room was um, Lane put up Woody for his new toy. It was like Toy Story, uh, basically. So, yeah, that that was another guy that uh, in the annals of USC football recruiting, uh, initially a lot of people thought was going to be a defensive back. And then, um, you know, USC put him out there as a receiver and he just made too many plays to put him back on defense. And with that little throwback, let's keep it pushing. I actually went out to an event this uh, this weekend, this past weekend, uh, out to what's called the Zoo, the Linebacker Zoo. Uh, it's run by uh, Turnbull Tuliapupu, and you'll recognize that name. That is the father of Solomon Tuliapupu. So this is a a event that's catered more towards guys in the box, linebackers, defensive linemen those kind of positions, edge rushers. So it's designed for those, you know, you have seven on seven for receivers, defensive backs, you have lineman camps, which are for, you know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, but this guy kind of handles the guys in the box, uh, linebackers, you know, there's some defensive linemen there, edge rushers, guys like that. So that's what that is catering to. So I was able to get out there. The most interesting story that I found in terms of the prospects in attendance was some kids out of, King Drew High School. I know you're listening. You're like, where the heck is King Drew? I know Gerard's probably thinking, where the heck is King Drew? Well, it's a medical magnet school out in Los Angeles. They play in the city section. And you've never heard of them in terms of football because they just started football literally uh, last year. It was, uh, it's been uh, taken over. Their, their program is started by a coach that I actually met. My first year when I started at 247, I met him at a premium practice. His name is Joe Torres, and shout out to Coach Torres. And he's actually from Baltimore, Maryland. That's why we connected when we were first starting out. I think I gave him my number, and he was like, that's a Maryland number. And then I was like, yeah, his number is Baltimore area code. So bonded over that. He was actually at St. Bernard's out here in California. But before that, in Baltimore, he actually was one of the coaches that helped start St. Francis uh, of St. Francis, Baltimore. And that was before, you know, uh, Biff Pogge came in uh, with his money and they kind of, you know, turned it into a a superpower. You know, they had the documentary crew and all that. And so he was there at the ground floor of St. Francis in Baltimore. He's out here now. He's at uh, St. Bernard's. And now he is at King Drew starting their program. And it's a very interesting story uh, because a lot of the kids, a lot of the population of kids at this magnet school are uh, first generation uh, Nigerian kids. And, you know, he's had to go to the basket. It's mainly known as a basketball program. So he did a lot of recruiting at basketball practices. So he has a lot of athletes and, you know, we were talking about some of the kids he's got out there. And one of them was a 2025 uh, edge rusher named Shinedu Onyegoro. And he's about six, two and a half, uh, 220 pounds, had 19 sacks last season in his first year playing football. Really interesting, really uh, good-looking prospect. I think he's a little bit short for an edge right now, but could make a really, really nice linebacker. Obviously, if he keeps growing, you know, he's six foot five, 
six foot four, but it's all said and done. He's only a 2025. Yeah, he could be a, a dude. And Greg Biggins was out there, got a look at him as well. So I'm going to go out to one of their practices during the spring when they start up. He's telling me about, you know, they have a lot of intriguing guys, a lot of athletes out there. And the other good part about it, Gerard, is it's a magnet school. So all their all their grades are off the charts. They are a uh, a college coach's dream to recruit kids with uh, high GPAs. I think the the cumulative of the team was like a three six, which is just uh, incredible. So they went nine and three in their first year. I think a lot of people didn't expect them to win a game, but they went nine and three. He actually won the NFL's Coach of the Year honors. The, he was out at the Super Bowl and got honored there. So. A really interesting story and a program building that's going on at King Drew. So that was kind of one of my big takeaways from looking at, you know, the kids that were in attendance. That is very interesting. We will have to keep tabs on King Drew High School uh, this season and moving forward. It's always those city section schools that pop up, Winward, you had Hawkins for a while. And sometimes they have a bunch of guys that just pop up at a school. And you have to be very cognizant of the movers and shakers behind the scenes with such schools if you're a college coach. Now, you were there for Turnbull's camp. Was Solomon Tuli Alapupu there? The man, the myth, the legend, the Peristyles own. He is their spirit ammo. Yeah, he, he was in attendance. He's, he comes back to help his, his father's camps all the time. I believe he's been at the since the first one started. I believe this is like the fifth or sixth year, not counting, you know, the year that taken off for COVID, obviously. But he's been a uh, part of this since it first started. And, yeah, he was out there. I, I've noted every time I've seen him at these camps that he's always got like some, you know, when he's battling the injuries, he's he's got some sort of like brace or had some sort of like medical device that like measures the blood flow he's always had something like that but this is like the first year i remember where he didn't have any of that he just looked like he was out there big smile on his face like he always is he's always got that that personality but yeah it was was great to catch up with him super pumped up for the season you know what he was able to do last year uh play in games you know got a couple sacks two and a half sacks some tackles for a loss he's really excited to to build off that for Next year, you know, he he knows the Paris. He's a big fan favorite of the Paris style. Uh, so he's excited to to get back out there and build off, you know, being a defensive lineman uh, in year two for him, you know, making that transition down uh, to the to the trenches. So he's excited to build off that and really excited for the group of guys. And, and, and one of his new teammates was out there too, Anthony Lucas, who was actually helping out uh, as a counselor as well. Jamar Sakona was there. Travis Dye was there. Travis Dye is kind of kind of from that area, that Corona area. So he was out there. He was at the last one last year. Uh, but Anthony Lucas, I just wanted to say, just a great personality overall. And you could tell he might have a future in coaching, Gerard, because he was like really, really into to coaching these guys. You know, we've seen you know sometimes some some counselors that are college guys. They don't really like get into it all that much. But like Anthony Lucas, you know, working with those edge rusher guys, he would stop the drill to break down, you know, what he wanted to see. If you didn't do a good rep, he was going to he was going to take you to the side really quickly and like do it himself and show you what he wanted you to do. He was very active, very playful, very just a lot of energy throughout the whole event, three hour event. He had the same energy level than when they started and when he ended. 
Uh, big megawatt smile, just a perfect fit for L.A. But, yeah, that was something I really noticed about him is that he just seemed to have a really genuine love for football. And, you know, he was really coaching those kids up uh, whenever he got a chance to. Very good. Any chance we get some more details, maybe some behind-the-scenes tidbits in the war room? about? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely be on the lookout uh, for for some of that and behind the scenes. I'm not giving away all my secrets right here on this podcast because I know it's a free podcast, but got to keep something back. So, yeah, definitely in the war room, I'm going to have a big, big write-up about, uh, you know, some of the stuff I saw out there and, and talked to people about out there while I was out there. So, yeah. Definitely just a quick little plug for the uh, the war room coming up. But, yeah, there'll be definitely more ahead, Gerard. Usually when Chris says a big write-up, he means 250 words. So <coughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll count the words on, uh, on that. I, I will on guarantee movie. you it will be the longest piece in the war room this Friday. I can guarantee Oh, it. wow. The longest piece. In the, I might have to give uh, Dan Weber an email and say, Dan, you've been challenged. <laughs> Time to come back out of retirement. Wow, yeah, re- way to really stack the deck against me. No, it will definitely be a hefty write-up for the War Room drug. I can promise you that. I can promise so, you that. You went out there, and that was kind of really the only camp locally that was going last weekend. But USC is still recruiting, and even on an off week, they have some unofficial visitors heading in this weekend. Brandon Huffman just put up a piece. Uh, big weekend, pylon, seven-on-seven and five-on-five lineman camp are this weekend. There's also the OT7 seven-on-seven that Phoenix. is going on in Phoenix. And so there's going to be a bit of a split. And we really weren't sure if pylon was going to be worth even covering this weekend with OT7, having a bunch of guys like Trillium Boys and several other teams locally going out there for their regional game. Huff says, you need to be at Pylon this weekend because you're going to have a ton of unofficial visitors from out of state, including a bunch of linemen, defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Christopher, take us through this list a little bit of some of the players that may make it to campus at USC. We're not guaranteeing all of these kids are going to make it to USC. Sometimes these seven on seven teams, they don't make it to campus. They have scheduling conflicts. Things happen all the time, but it sounds like Cali power is bringing the power from out of state to potentially the campus of USC this weekend. And just to be cl- and just to clarify, Gerard, as I look at this list, uh, the asterisk denotes an offer, correct? Correct, Mundo. Correct, correct. So it's going to be very similar to the weekend or the official visit, or excuse me, the visitor weekend from the first week of March, where they just brought like all these seven on seven teams. Not necessarily every team or every player on that team has an offer, but you know they're just part of the trip. Everyone, everyone comes and visits. You know things like that, but there are a couple of key headliner guys. The first big one would be Bradenton IMG Academy, five-star defensive lineman, David Stone, who USC has been, you know, recruiting as part of that 2024 defensive line class, those top and blue chip defensive linemen that they are in the mix for David Stone being one of them. You have Tampa Bay, excuse me, Tampa, Florida, Wharton edge rusher, Booker Pickett, I believe he was in USC, made his top schools list a couple months ago. I don't remember what the, I think it was an 8 or a 10 or a 9 or a 12 or a 15, whatever, something like that. But USC was in his top schools list. You have Gaithersburg, Quincy Orchard, edge rusher Jalen Harvey, who, as we've talked about on this podcast a couple months ago, already has his official visit set for this summer. So it looks like he's going to come in early 
get an unofficial visit, and we'll see if that holds for his official. I assume it will, but coming out of the DMV, you have Baltimore St. Francis Academy defensive lineman Trent Wilson, Santa Ana modern day 2025 edge Nasir Wyatt, who you know we raved about on the show, Loganville Grayson offensive lineman Walt Claire Flynn Jr. Talk about a great first name, Gerard Walt Claire Flynn Jr. Uh, do not believe he has an offer, but keep an eye out for that one. You have uh, Kenneke, offensive lineman Marquise Easley, who USC just made his top 10. San Francisco Archbishop Rodan, 2025 tackle Peter Lange. St. John Bosco safety Jason Mitchell, you are familiar with that one. Uh, Tampa, Florida, 2025 safety DJ Pickett. DeSoto, 2025 safety Sal Reyes. Uh, Laverne, Bonita, 2025 linebacker Noah McHale, who has been on campus multiple times. San Jacinto receiver Dylan Gresham, Mission Hills, Mission Hills Alamany 2025 receiver Philip Bell, and Christian Brothers receiver Jeremiah McClellan. So I would say, you know, if you take away maybe uh, Dylan Riola, the number one overall player from the first week of uh, for visitors, I would say maybe uh, this week is uh, better than the first weekend, Gerard. You know what I noticed, Chris? If I could interject an observation, because we put up Spring Ball Central on the site this past week, and the opening weekend, we, the media, were pretty much shut out from practice. And I was like, okay, that's odd. That's the first time that's ever happened in the 20 years that I've been covering USC, where the first practices were not open to the media. And then I started looking at the calendar that we make for Spring Ball Central. Which, you know, just layout wise, it gives you a better picture of the, the practices and sort of how they're organized. And I noticed that every practice, which looks like it's going to be a big recruiting date, is closed to the media. So I wonder, I wonder, Chris, I just wonder if they're just trying to keep us away from their recruits, man. They don't want us reporting on their recruits. They're trying to keep secrets. Secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, secrets hurt everyone that's what i would say but Gerard, you, you have to you gloss over my point do you think this is a better weekend than the first weekend if you take out yeah, Royal, I think, at, face take value, out at face value yes because you're getting some defensive linemen on campus and, and that is certainly a big deal for usc we know that that is one of the most important positions for them to recruit uh in, in addition to getting some offensive linemen some offensive tackles actually have scholarship offers. Marquise Easley's got a scholarship offer from mm-hmm. USC. He was offered just not too long ago, uh, but also getting David Stone uh, back in Southern California. David Stone actually was in Southern California early on at uh, one of the lineman camps for Cali Power uh, in January. And so he's making it back. A lot of people feel like he is not looking at USC seriously, and that's a little bit of a red flag that he actually took a visit out here and then he's been talking more about Oklahoma and Alabama, et cetera. So we're going to see if this next visit sort of rekindles or creates more interest uh, for him. Or maybe he's just a guy that doesn't want to go to USC. You know, that happens regardless of whether you're coming out here for a club team or not. It, you know, you don't necessarily it's it's just something that you're doing along with the team. And it's not like you're going yourself because you want to see USC. So we'll see how that shakes out with his recruitment. Um, you know, a couple other guys that are interesting here, you know, Trent Wilson, one of those St. Francis guys that USC has offered a scholar to, 
Um, Jalen Harvey, who we talked about, already setting that official visit to USC is kind of interesting. You know, he was one of those guys uh, very early in the process starting to set his official visits and a player that's kind of still developing a bit on the recruiting trail, you know, getting more scholarship offers and not one of the most highest rated uh, defensive linemen in the country. So USC kind of going out there, uh, getting this year, Wyatt back on campus is a big deal. 2025 edge rusher from modern day. Uh, he's a, a, a big fan of USC, likes USC a lot, but he's a national recruit and he's going to be one of those guys at USC has to definitely fight for uh, Peter Longy coming back down. Uh, he is originally from Southern California. He played for modern day. And so he transferred up to San Francisco, uh, Archbishop Rodan. And so he's uh, a guy that's uh, very familiar, big kid. You know, we saw him uh, last season at modern day and, um, you know, he's just one of those guys that, you know, even at modern day with that college looking offensive line that they have, with, you know, all these different players that are four star type level guys as juniors, he was still one of the biggest players. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, USC gives a scholarship offer to him because he's a guy 2025 doesn't have a scholarship offer. Uh, there's yeah, uh, quite a few players there that are going to be making return visits to USC. Philip Bell, we had a good write up on him and, you know, his mom's a big USC fan, and uh, he's already been on an unofficial visit to USC and really likes Lincoln Riley. He's actually uh, grew up an Oklahoma fan. So when Lincoln Riley went to USC, it was sort of marrying uh, his mom's favorite school with his favorite uh, coach from his favorite school. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, one of the best, if uh, not the best wide receivers in the 2025 class. He's rated pretty high. Uh, Dylan Gresham, another guy that, um, you know, got offered by USC, but not as much follow up there as some other players. So we'll see how this goes with some of these guys. And if, you know, USC really focuses in on some of them, if, you know, they, they sort of move the needle with some of these players and there's some scholarship offers that go out because there actually haven't been a whole lot of scholarship offers that have gone out since spring ball has actually started. And there's been quite a few kids that have been on campus taking unofficial visits. I think the parasite would tell you when it comes to David Stone, it's all thanks to the uh, the IMG curse with USC. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a curse. I just think it's halfway or well, all the way across the country. <laughs> and, you know, these kids are uh, largely from the South. And so, it, you know, you're not getting uh, a lot of kids that have familiarity with USC. But now you've got Buki that's on the support staff. And that's true. Know, that's true. out there at IMG. Uh, for for a little bit and so he made that move and I'm sure that he can sort of talk the talk about you know leaving home and going across the country to go to IMG and then going to Oklahoma and knowing that staff and now being at USC and a guy that you know grew up uh, watching USC it's funny because I mean I talked to um, Van Nuys Birmingham three-star athlete Peyton Waters uh, just the other night and we were talking about his uh, unofficial visit to USC and he mentioned Buki and I said, yeah, you know, Buki, going back with Buki, going back to his brother, Lucky Riles, um, Radley. Um, it's actually not Hiles. It's it's Buki, Radley Hiles, but uh, it's just Lucky. And um, Lucky was a guy that, you know, was this like, I got him dating myself, you know, thinking about little Buki running around. And he was running around the seven on seven tournaments and he'd be on the sidelines and he, he'd be talking to us and whatever. And, you know, we'd be there watching Lucky play. So um it's kind of funny you know kind of seeing you know the evolution where you've got like little brothers and i mean some of these guys i know greg has talked to some parents that he covered as recruits 
And now their sons are coming up as recruits. So that's even more like, wow, okay. I'm yeah, ready. I've been seeing that happen to him more and more at, at tournaments and at games too. So I th- the one that offhand, he was at a passing tournament and there was a quarterback and he was like, I played with your dad or I covered your dad or something like that. Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty interesting to watch. As he, and you're, you're getting to that point too, Troy. Well, I mean, I ran into – I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast last weekend. Johnny Johnson and Jalen Johnson, who I covered Johnny and Jalen out of high school, and they were out of Fresno. Uh, they were um, part of Tony Perry's group. And uh, Tony Perry, rest in peace, he's no longer with us. Uh, but, um, you know, Johnny ended up going to UCLA. And then Jalen was like the one recruit in the world, whoever could remember Ronnie Bradford's name uh, as a recruiter for USC. All the defensive backs at that point were being recruited by Ronnie Bradford, just calling the the USC DB coach, which always stood out to me because when kids don't remember names, tells you that they're those coaches are not really making a big impact in their right. recruitment. You know, it's not sticking with them. They're not absorbing what they're saying. And so Jalen was the one guy who uh, – who used to remember Ronnie Bradford's name and still didn't end up at USC, ended up going to Utah, which I, th- I think we did talk about that story a little bit uh, last weekend. But, um, yeah, that's that's one. There's been a few guys that, you know, you see, and it's like, oh, I mean, Sue is running around now, Chris Hawkins, they're coaching for Trillion Boys a little bit. But I, I've known Sue ever since he was a recruit, though, so it's kind of different because just like, you know, personally I've, I've known him. So it's not like he's – you know, all of a sudden, like uh, like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Johnson, I hadn't seen for years. So when they popped up at one of these uh, seven-on tournaments and they were coaching TP, uh, TMP Elite, uh, Johnny came up to me. He's like, hey, man, you used to cover me out of high school. And he had a beard. And I'm like, huh? And he goes, Johnny. And when he said Johnny, it just – I don't know if it was the voice or whatever, but immediately clicked. And I go, oh, you brother's here too. And I, Because I sort of recognized Jalen as well. And so, yeah, it was, you know, kind of cool. We chatted for quite a while just about the recruiting process. And, you know, now Johnny's at that point where he's involved in seven on seven and he's interested to hear like the evolution of it and how recruits are now dealing with them as opposed to, you know, when he was a recruit and they had Nike camps and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's changed in some ways and in some other ways it hasn't. Let's keep it moving. And Gerard and five stars only Jared Perez will be at Pylon. Uh, this weekend, so they'll have a bunch of updates uh, from guys coming, going at USC's campus and and all that. I'm actually going to be out of town. I have a destination fantasy baseball draft, but not that anyone cares. But we'll keep it moving with a couple of quick hitter notes. One being Zabian Brown, one of the top cornerback prospects in the 2024 uh, class, put USC among his final four finalists, along with Alabama, Ohio State. And Oregon, number 116 in 24 7 sports uh, rankings, and number nine cornerback, six foot one, 180 pounds out of modern day California. I think, Gerard, if I recall, you're a big fan of Xavier Brown. Uh, would you call this one a must get? It's uh, borderline. Uh, on the fringe? On the fringe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is probably the best defensive back right here and right now in that modern day, sec- modern day secondary. And so you're talking about, you know, Chuck McDonald, um, Jelani Davis, um, uh, Darius Dixon. It's a bunch of guys with all scholarship offers from USC, but Xavier Brown. And I think the modern day coaches feel like he's their best guy right now. And so of course you want to get one of the best, if not the best cornerback locally. And 
you know, Xavier Brown's given a lot of interest to Oregon. He's been given a lot of interest to, to Alabama and Ohio State. I don't necessarily get the feel like, you know, I, I think USC is definitely, I feel like they're top three or they've been top three among those choices. But I do feel like these other schools are very much tempting him and that um, I just don't get this sense like USC's the team to beat right this second. So we're going to see how it shakes out. I mean, I think it'll probably come down to the summertime visits and he'll probably make his decision before um, his senior year. Uh, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but uh, USC's definitely made him a priority recruit. Dante Williams has been on him for quite a long time. Uh, but they need to get him on campus again. You know, they need to get mm-hmm. him on campus a little more regularly. Um, I think that goes for for all those modern day recruits. Talked a little bit about Nasir Wyatt, and he's another guy that hasn't been uh, on campus at USC for a while now. And so, you know, you've got guys here locally. Um, goes back to our a little conversation about uh, you know, like maybe a Jason Brown versus. Um, uh, Nate Frazier at modern day and, and looking at, you know, the, the, the running back talent out of state and kind of, you know, as the grass always greener on the other side, sometimes you can overlook local players. Now USC is not doing that with Xavier Brown. Like I said before, he's been a priority recruit for them from jump street, uh, certainly, but uh, it's, um, you know, one of those things where I think, you know, you, you just got to figure out how to get these guys on campus and maximize that advantage of being local. I mean, that's, one of the biggest things is just having kids being able to drive to your campus at any time. Uh, they got to get there, you know, and it's uh, it kind of goes towards the whole action speak louder than words uh, in terms of, you know, how much guys are on campus is how much interest they have in USC. Of course, there's exceptions to the rules uh, like Dylan Williams, the 2025 or 24 linebacker, excuse me, out of Long Beach Poly who was committed to USC and said all the right things and did all the right things and then turn around and decommit. Uh, from USC and now is an Oregon man. So, you know, there are exceptions to the rules, but you do want to see some of these local top players, maybe just around USC a little more. You know, some of the guys have been around USC quite often. You know, Jason Mitchell, uh, now at St. John Bosco, he was at Sarah, he's been to USC several times. Dakota Fields uh, just took an unofficial visit to USC a couple weeks ago. So some of these guys are popping up on campus, but some of these other guys aren't. And it's a little sort of curious, you know, you, you notice that when some of these guys haven't been on campus at the start of spring practices and they're taking all these unofficial visits to other schools out of state. And then our other kind of quick hitter note would be pertaining to the Holy Hour as it has been dubbed here at the Composite Two Star Recruits and might be the signal point for the start of season two. That's something we threw around. But Colin Simmons, the five-star edge rusher out of Duncanville, Texas in the 2024 class, will be making an unofficial visit to USC for on April 8th, which is the holy hour, number 23 nationally in the 24-7 sports rankings, number three edge, number three prospect out of Texas, much higher in the 24-7 sports composite. He is number four overall, the number one edge, and the number one player out of Texas. So another big name for that April 8th date, which just keeps getting bigger. Gerard, I need to get a sound bite with like a, like a holy, uh, like monks chanting or something. I need some, like, I need some church... Uh, noises for 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 this uh, date. Perhaps you could take uh, maybe the intro to Holy Wars from Megadeth. That'd be cool. What is that? Holy Wars. Oh, okay, okay. 
<laughs> just keep just keep on brand with with it's a great song it's one of the best metal songs ever it's absolutely got to be up there one of the best albums ever but anyways yeah this is a big get this is somebody that usc has been trying to get on campus quite a few times uh there was some talk like i think it was last summer he was going to take an unofficial visit to usc and then there was a, some point during uh, the season, I believe he was going to take an unofficial visit to USC and it kept falling out, kept falling through. And so now coming April 8th, by the way, a practice not open to the media. Um, we're going to see him and uh, USC is on the outside looking in at this point. You know, there, there's definitely it's an attraction visit. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely attraction visit. It's, it's one of those things. It was interesting because he, you know, talked about in his write up. I think we talked to Steve Wiltfong. And he was basically just talking about, you know, why he was interested in USC. And it was basically Cali. You know, everybody talks about Cali and getting out to Cali. And, I, you know, I want to see it for myself sort of thing. So it's a little more L.A., California, um, certainly not, you know, USC specific. Uh, you know, USC, they have so many great uh, traditions and they're Heisman Trophy winners and naming players. Nothing like that. It was basically just want to go out and see Cali. So he's going to take uh, that unofficial visit out uh, to USC for April 8th. And um, we'll see what happens. Like you said, uh, I think it is definitely a traction visit. Uh, he says, you know, Cali has uh, probably got the, the best talent, maybe number two after Texas, which Chris, now correct me if I'm wrong here, but I do remember a team from California recently going to Duncanville and dunking on the Panthers. Am I wrong in thinking that, Chris? That was a 45-3 to three victory by the modern day monarchs back in 2021 they uh they that ass gerard no other way to put it interesting okay just checking (laughs) yeah definitely an interesting comment to make uh after kind of that that dismantling that they got at the hands of a trinity league school out in uh in in their home state that was in texas so Definitely a very interesting uh, eyebrow-raising comment to make. And the final update kind of visitor note that we want to make is four-star offensive tackle Fox Crater, which might be my favorite, not just offensive lineman name, but just might be my favorite recruit name in the 2024 class, is going to take an unofficial visit to USC at the end of the month. So USC getting another big offensive lineman on campus. He is from Vancouver, Washington. USC did offer a while ago. Uh, so the, you know, they've been on the they've been on he has been on their radar for a while. He is an Oregon Duck committee, six foot six, two hundred eighty-five pounds, consensus consensus four-star prospect, number seventeen offensive tackle in the the twenty-four-seven sports rankings. It's offers from Auburn, Georgia, Stanford, USC, Miami. So Texas A&M, pretty good looking offensive tackle. And we'll see if they can get some uh, some headway as they get them on campus here at the end of the month. Yeah, good looking offensive tackle prospect. Like you said, someone that they offered early in the process. Committed to Oregon, which is understandable. Northwest kid. I think he took an unofficial visit there, liked it. Committed to Oregon. But since then, we've seen the departure of Adrian Clem as offensive line coach. So I've heard around the way that uh, this one could be softening quite a bit for Oregon. So he's not uh, makes quite sense, makes sense. the solid uh, commitment for Oregon that he once was. And we've talked about this a couple of times in the past already. 
I mean, this is one area where USC definitely seems to be making some inroads. I mean, Brandon Baker is another player, uh, the number one offensive tackle recruit out of modern day high school that I think a lot of people felt like you know, Oregon had a pretty solid lead there uh, early in the year, kind of at the end of the year. And he's now sort of getting reeled in with USC because quite frankly, he has a longer standing, better relationship with the coaching staff there. So, you know, Oregon sort of now kind of trying to reintroduce themselves a little bit with the new offensive line coach and uh, their new offensive coordinator. So it's a, a completely different scheme. And um, there's a lot of different sort of moving parts there at Oregon. And Oregon sort of had a little bit of a tradition of this now, you know, where they have a lot of coaches that are coming and going and not sticking around for very long. So uh, that's really helped USC on the offensive line. And that's one place that certainly before Lincoln Riley was hired, if you could have asked any Trojan fan, hey, you know, where do you want to make up the most ground in recruiting against Oregon? Oregon has beaten USC out now um, for the last several years for the Pac-12 number one ranking spot what position would you like to see usc make inroads in the most and they would have said offensive line across the board so usc's doing that now there's some other positions where oregon's definitely seems like they're i don't want to say out recruiting usc but they are certainly uh, gaining the interest of kids and kids are talking more about oregon we already talked about dylan williams being one of those players so we'll see you know if usc is able to make uh, some moves here you know over the summer they certainly uh, seem to gain momentum in, in certain situations where you kind of, you know, things look a little quiet, you know, they, they, they look like a, a little dead for USC recruiting last year. And then, you know, it was like after that uh, big golden hour visit, it was a little too quiet. And I think a lot of the fans were getting very nervous and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, is, you know, USC just going to get killed here on the recruiting trail. All these offensive linemen seem like they're going other places. USC didn't get the last visit for this kid and that kid. And uh, lo and behold, they ended up doing pretty well from that specific weekend. And I think this year around that weekend is going to be a bit different. I think that's going to be more of a closer weekend. If they can improve, you know, on their near 50% commit rate from that particular weekend, and they end up having two dozen recruits on that one big weekend again, I mean, it's, it's, that's a pretty damn good success rate, you know, if you're getting above 50% and you're bringing in 24 guys. So we'll see how it goes this year. Uh, a lot of unofficial visits. And again, you know, proof, proof of concept is there. USC has that year under their belt now. Lincoln Riley still best quarterback coach in the country, uh, bar none. Offense still one of, if not the most dynamic offenses in the country. And uh, it's really the defense that's, you know, bringing up the rear. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that because, you know, USC's had a couple unofficial visitors that have been there to watch practice and they're seeing a lot more of practice than we are. And so in the questions that I ask kids, it's not just about, hey, what did you get to see from USC, you know, campus and what do the coaches say? It's what's your analysis of the team watching them in practice? Absolutely. And one other quick hitter that I forgot to add to the list is that USC made the top 12 for four-star St. John Bosco cornerback Marcellus Williams. We, You should be familiar with his name. He is the youngest brother of Max Williams, USC safety. So USC has been involved with Max, or excuse me, Marcellus since you know he was a kid, uh, since Max was a uh, target and eventual signee and starter for this team. Been to USC probably the most out of any school, obviously, because his brother's there. USC, you know, still hanging around. I, I've 
always gotten the sense that Marcellus is a guy who's going to go out of state uh, when, it times to, when it is time to pick his college. But USC is hanging around. I wouldn't count them out. But definitely feels more like an out-of-state kind of guy. But USC is in that top 12, and we'll see where they go from there. He's going to make that decision probably before senior year. And Classic Bosco kid. It's been noted that how is USC going to show that they've improved their defense before the season? And so, yeah, maybe that's a little bit of a tell. But at the same time, I think if USC does show that improvement, I don't care where he's committed to. You know, the, the, there's a lot of stuff that can happen between September and signing day. And we, we see that every year. You know, I mean, we're talking about the season two of this podcast starting in April. And lo and behold, we're talking about Braden Hillman and uh, <laughs> and Toos Robinson, who hasn't made a commitment yet. So, you know, the recruiting process these days, it does overlap with classes. And you have guys now, you know, just in addition to the transfer portal and how that sort of continues on the process. And it's almost, you know, uh, 365 days a year. Uh, but um, in that particular case, like, I don't disagree with you. I think he really wants USC to do well. I think he was almost somewhat frustrated in talking about USC and his interest in USC. And, you know, I was like, you've been around USC uh, plenty, you know, behind the scenes. You know USC from a recruiting standpoint and a player standpoint better than any of these other guys out here. What do you still need to see from USC? And it was basically sort of hands out, shrug shoulders. I want to see him play better defense. You know, you got to play better defense than you did last year. And when you play better defense, your guys are clearly getting developed because one thing doesn't happen without the other. And if you're developing your players, you're getting them drafted. And that's what defensive guys want to see from the defensive side of the ball. So it was a very simple thing. And he was very candid. And he was very honest. And he wasn't trying to roast anybody. And, you know, some fans, you know, they're, 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 they're so, you know, doomer gloomer. Um, you know, kind of uh, putting on the blinders a bit sometimes when they think about the team and they take offense, you know, well, who's this 17-year-old kid saying things about the defense? He doesn't know anything. It's like, listen, he knows a lot more than you do because he's got a brother on the team, man. So <laughs> we're going to have to see, you know, what happens with him. He might be an interesting barometer for recruiting just in terms of what he says about the program. And, you know, if 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 he is still – not necessarily open because if he makes that decision right in September or August, it's like, okay, he commits, but you know, there's always going to be that. Are you still going to take visits during the season? Cause you're, pro he's not going to take all his visits during the summer. He told me that he says he thinks he's probably going to be able to take three and then have a decision and maybe leave a visit or two during the season. He wasn't hundred percent sure. So that already tells me, you know, you're not all in on that. Uh, early commitment that you're going to make. If you want to save a visit, obviously that works in USC's favor because if they do play well during the season, you see the defense improve a lot. And if the defense improves, not just, just a lot, if the defense improves some, they're probably a college football playoff team. Now this is a more difficult schedule they have this year. You've got to play Washington. You've got to play Oregon in addition to Utah. But I, I think just, you know, not, a, a, a huge turnaround on defense is still going to get them much more in the conversation where they're actually ready to make that jump. I think that was the thing last year that we all saw despite the ranking. And that was the whole controversy, even with shotgun tweeting, 
you know, they're not ready and people, you know, kind of conflating that with they don't deserve to be there. Well, listen, the ranking is the ranking. If they're ranked to be in the top four and that's the playoff system, top four gets rated and they go to the playoff, they go to the playoff. That's what they deserve. But ready is another is another thing entirely. And you don't want to go to one of those big games on national television and get TCU because that takes you back. That's actually going to take you a few steps back and, and not like losing a game against the G5 school in the Cotton Bowl wasn't a good look either, but not as bad as getting shellacked, rinsed, peeled out the tree by Georgia 65 nothing. That's a whole nother can of worms, as they say. So you kind of want to dodge that if you're not ready for that. And the final note that I'm just adding off the fly right here, Gerard, we have to make a note of this on the composite two-star recruits, but USC did offer a preferred walk-on spot to athlete Jaden Moore out of La Jolla, California. And why am I mentioning this? Because he is certified rated two-star prospect. So... That's big news. You know, we love to show love to the two-star prospects. You know, five stars, dime a dozen. Four stars, there's a million of them. Three stars, don't impress us. But two-star prospects, those are rare diamonds that you have to dig for. And he is a two-star prospect. So, obviously, he has not committed, nothing like that. But if he joins the Trojans, he's going to be one of the official faces of the composite two-star recruits. Up there with Solomon Bird, who was a two-star prospect out of college. So USC needs, you know, another two-star prospect to kind of bridge the gap when Bird leaves USC. So this could be our guy, Gerard. Boom. Casey Cosgrove, send out the notifications. Send out the notifications. Gerard, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and do some listener questions. Yes, that's it. We got through all our points. So we're going to go break into some listener questions. How does that sound? Sounds fast. All right, we'll be right back after this break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gerard, we are flying through this podcast. <laughs> I, we're going to get a lot of negative feedback if this is under an hour. We're going to <laughs> it be. It's not going to be under an hour. Okay, okay, okay. Woof. Well, that's a sigh of relief. You know, there's those in the peristyle that believe that we shouldn't do a podcast that's over 30 minutes. 
They're like, listen, I got time. things to do. I'm an important guy. Okay. I do business stuff. I don't have time to listen to you guys ramble on two hours about 17 year old kids. Okay. Like give it to me in cliff notes. Okay. I need to get to it quickly. And then there's others that are like, listen, I live in Bakersfield and I have to drive to LA every work every day for work, which I don't know how that's even possible. I don't lose <laughs> your mind and go insane from doing because that. Because of us. Well, yeah, I don't think so, but <laughs> But they're like, you know, the, your podcast is the only thing that uh, I, I can listen to to get me through this, you know, horrid drive every day that I make. And so, you know, I understand. I, I feel your pain. And so we try. Maybe maybe we hit middle ground with this one. And it's like an hour and a half. And, you know, people are kind of upset because it's not four hours. But then people are kind of happy because it's not two and a half hours. I don't or know. We d- or we didn't do one at all like this is like they'd rather have an hour and a half one than no podcast you know what i'm saying that's right we, low-key passive aggressively threaten them chris <laughs> i don't want to threaten anyone but if you do want to get a question on the podcast you can send a recruiting question to us at podcast at uscfootball.com just make sure you put the composite cilantro boys gerard gerald hurricane 10k whatever just put it in the subhead and it'll get it sent to my inbox. We actually haven't been getting a lot of questions. It's like one per week. And that's probably my fault because I did threaten everyone with like, I'm not doing every question anymore. So people were like, okay, we're going to stop writing it. But it is a healthy balance because I know that if I didn't do that, we'd have like nine questions. And that'd be an additional hour and a half with Gerard here on the mic. So it's my own doing, but we do have two fairly kind of long emailed in questions for this week Gerard. okay okay uh first one <laughs> comes from coach b what up my guys i'm reminding myself to be patient because i know last year was unique but dot 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 can we get a commitment real talk last year it felt like every day there was an update on caleb williams transferring a new transfer edition or a 2023 commit so far this year as of the time i write this it is just sadly has been a few decommitments. Crystal balls are nice, but I still have Josh Connerly trauma to work through before I start trusting them again. So again, I ask, can we get a commitment? Thanks. And GM, and GM, you sold yourself short last week on the pod. You guys are the most important pod uh, a, lot, a lot of us listen to. Without the Cilantro Boys, USC football would not be the same. Coach B, PS, at 10K, when are the shirts dropping and where do we go to order one? Gerard, why don't we tackle the first part is where are all the damn commitments? Can they yeah. get a commitment? Should we release a commitment, Gerard? <laughs> I, can, I can tackle the first part. The second part, you're going to have to. Tackle. Okay. Okay. But uh, unfortunately, yes, USC has had some decommitments for some good players and some players that you know, some we saw coming and then other ones we didn't. And certainly there's been some chatter as to, okay, you know, they're resetting some of the class and they're kind of taking a look at some of these commitments because some of them were taken with the interim coaching staff under Dante Williams. But some of them were not. And certainly, you know, we've seen enough of Dylan Williams, a linebacker out of Long Beach Poly, to know that uh, he's not a guy you reset. <laughs> it's a guy that you keep committed at all costs. And so that's one that USC is going to try to reel back in. I think Aaron Butler is another guy that USC is going to look at. 
and potentially try to reel back in. Um, it's a long recruiting process. And yeah, certainly there's this feel like, all right, you know, Georgia has sort of the core of their 2024 class already rolling. Uh, a few of those schools, you know, you already get like a handful of commitments as you're getting into, you know, the, like the latter parts of March, April. And then you're looking at, all right, what is the core foundation of this class going to look like by the time we get into the season? Because so many guys want to make commitments uh, before their senior season starts. Now, I do think that's a trend that's beginning to turn a little bit. And for numerous, numerous reasons, one reason, because there's so many damn coaching changes that begin to happen. Uh, teams, you know, you can see how those coaching changes might happen just by the way they're playing. <laughs> and, you know, this is one thing that was a cloud that was hanging over the head of USC for so many years when Clay Helton was a head coach, because there were so many seasons there where they look like, you know, they could end up firing Clay Helton. And so that really hurt them on the recruiting trail. So that's something that kids start to look at and you see where, you know, schools start out really bad. I mean, Eliza Page is a good example, offensive lineman that signed with USC. He's a part of the spring practice squad as a freshman. And he was committed to Notre Dame coming out of the summer. He took that official visit to Notre Dame uh, early in June and canceled all his other visits. We thought he was one of those guys that could end up at USC when we're going into May and we're talking about who are the guys that might end up committed by the time the season starts. And Elijah Page was one of those guys. Boom, turns around, commits to Notre Dame, doesn't visit USC. Then Notre Dame starts the season and they look like butt, as Ryan would say. And that ends up, you know, changing his mind a little bit about the offense and sort of the direction of the program, so on and so forth. And lo and behold, USC starts the season undefeated and they look like they're rolling. So there's a lot that can happen from that standpoint. And we're starting to see because of the coaching carousel, a little bit of that reverberate there with the recruiting process. Also with NIL, I think a lot of these kids are sort of waiting it out to see, you know, who comes along with maybe some offer, some type of sponsorship, so on and so forth. And I think the transfer portal is kind of being something that, you know, that doesn't, I, I feel like that doesn't matter as much because that portal window goes right on through uh, the early signing period. So it's like, it doesn't really matter, man. These transfers, uh, some of them are not going to make that decision until January and you're deciding to sign in December. But nevertheless, I, I have seen that subject come up a little bit with recruits. So it's not always the kids themselves who talk about this stuff or even are very aware of these different factors. It's the people around them. It's the people in their ear. It's, you know, just people talking and, and, and you know, club team coaches talking, trainers talking, uh, just adults that are around them that are like, yo, yo, do you hear about this, man? Yeah, man. I think that's crazy, man. They got that transfer and that dude is like, he's, he's legit. What happened to the boy he, he committed over there? Yeah, man. Well, he, he about to transfer now too. Then you get those kind of conversations, that kind of banter that goes on. And these kids are just listening like, dang, for real? Like they just, they recruited right over him with the transfer. And so a lot of this stuff I think is going to maybe slow down the process a little bit. You're going to see less guys maybe committing early, more guys saving some of those official visits for the season to see how things play out. Now, is that in totality what's going on with USC? I don't really know. I mean, I, I think USC potentially has a few guys that they could have pushed to try to get commitments from, but they don't seem like they're really doing that. And again, it does seem like more kids sort of want to wait out the process and see what's going on. So 
we'll, we'll, we'll see here in, in the next couple of months or so. I mean, we have some pretty big unofficial visit dates and you've got a bunch of guys that are coming in that you would like to get commitments from. We'll see if USC is able to turn it on and, and to push and get some of these guys uh, to, to become part of the class because, it, you know, you've got one commitment now in the 2024 class. And uh, that's definitely not where you think that you would want to be going into the summer, going into the summer. You sort of want to have like they did last year. You know, you had Zach Branch already committed. You had Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon. You had a little bit of look at the class that we have going. It's a small number of guys, but it's quality players. And that sort of helps maybe get the ball rolling with some other guys. Now, I know that's one of the big advantages in having a big recruiting weekend. And when we talked about this last summer, pros and cons, having two dozen guys officially visiting you know, three days at the same time, it's, you sort of get that bond. You get guys that sort of, if they can mesh well together, there's a chemistry there. And then they all start talking about playing together. And so if you get that sort of kind of momentum going and you did have a good year last year, now potentially you get some commitments there that maybe you wouldn't have gotten before if you just ISOed some of those guys and just had them come in with three other official visitors. So we'll see. It definitely seems like USC likes to go the big visitor route. They like to go with a bunch of guys on one date and knock it all out and then sort of, you know, not recruit and not have to think about it, you know, in between so much, but really try to hit it out of the ballpark with bigger events. And next final questions is actually four submitted questions from Andrew A. And these are some like, thought-provoking questions or conversation questions. So he, he calls them high-level questions. So thank you to Andrew A. So let's just go through one. one uh, oh, wait. I still have to get to the end of Coach B's question. P.S. at 10K, when are the shirts dropping and where do we go to order one? I am still uh, working out the design for those. I want to do two designs. I want to do like a uh, basic composite two-star recruit. Uh, shirt and then i also want to do like a cilantro boys uh logo kind of deal so i'm still working on that i have some stickers i'm gonna get made and kind of hand those out as just like a little marketing tool but i'm still working on the the actual shirt designs and i'll i'll have set up like a uh a site where you can just go on order them and then they'll ship it to you so it takes the hassle away from me so i'll let you know when that when that's done i'm hoping i can get those done by the summer and uh when the season starts. So I, that's what, that's what I'm looking for my deadline for, to get these out. So thanks for asking. Uh, and then back to Andrew a, Hey guys, thanks as always for the amazing content. Got some high level questions for you. These are pretty broad. So feel free to pick and choose. Number one, let's start with number one. What are you guys hearing sentiment wise about the program from recruits, parents, coaches, and trainers, etc.? Do you get the sense there's still a little bit of wait and see locally, or do you feel like the tide is turning and 2024 will be the year that usually the year that USC actually keeps the best players in LA? I don't know about the second part, but talking to parents and coaches and such, I definitely feel the tide is turning in terms of their perception. There's a lot more excitement. I was talking to a parent about Finally, like he's most excited to see development actually going on at USC. That was, you know, USC was considered like a black hole from a development standpoint. Like if you were going to USC, you weren't getting developed. And that's kind of like the name of the game in college football. Get me developed so I can go to the NFL. 
So you're starting to see more hope from kids and parents and coaches that USC can be a place where a kid can actually get developed and be a high pick going into the NFL. So I, I've definitely been seeing and uh, hearing a lot more about that, and that's a little bit of recency bias because I just talked to a parent about that over the weekend at the zoo. So that's something I'm definitely hearing. I want to go somewhere I feel comfortable that feels at home, and I want to get developed to go to the NFL. Those are the two top factors, probably 90% of the kids that we talk to. And so the latter is what USC hasn't done. And we're going to have to see what happens with this draft. We talked about it in the past two podcasts about Jordan Addison and whether he ends up being a first-round pick or not and how some of these things can impact your perception. And as recruits, they're looking at that. You know, again, sort of box score tracking of college football programs, but that's one of those things that they're going to hear a lot, you know, at the end of the spring. Like, oh, man, we had such and such first-round draft picks. We did this. We did that. And a lot of schools, you just have, you know, a really good sort of synopsis of what they can do for you, uh, getting you to the NFL. And so my early returns on talking to recruits and parents, uh, yes, I I think, you know, even last year, a lot of the parents felt like, okay, the program is headed in the right direction in terms of the organization. Uh, It seems more professional. Seems like there's some, some older folks with more experience at key positions, and they just had a better feel for the direction the program was going in. And that was even before the season with some of the unofficial visits that USC hosted. I think this year, there's definitely still a lot of talk about Oregon. There's still a lot of kids that, you know, their formative years following football is watching Oregon uh, in in the Pac-12 and seeing them win the Pac-12. Um, the Nike sort of angle to it and the flashiness of it is also a big deal. Um, the unofficial visits that they've taken and they see the facilities, you know, that's made an impression. And so there are quite a few more skill players. It's kind of odd the way it's sort of turning upside down a bit where, you know, USC was just getting killed for offensive linemen left and right by Oregon because that was sort of Mario Cristobal's wheelhouse in recruiting offensive linemen. To where now it's like they're doing better with it seems like a lot of the offensive linemen, but some of the skill players are talking up Oregon a lot and they're talking about Alabama and these other schools. But I've said this and and I'll say it again. So many of these local guys, Marcellus Williams is a good example, want USC to be an option. And if USC is able to win at a high level, uh, they are going to land a lot of these players, a lot of these guys do want to stay local. They do want to play in Los Angeles. They do want to play in front of their friends and family. Now, you know, if you call their bluff and say, Hey, we're going to suck and we're not going to put a bunch of guys in, into the draft, but Hey, we're USC and look at all our tradition and look at, look at how great we are ranked academically. They're going to go somewhere else. If you're not developing them as pro players, Uh, That's a big deal for some of these guys. And even though it's just 1% of the 1% that actually end up making it, you know, that's something that you're always going to battle against. And you've got to get some guys out drafted and get them around the program after they get drafted, you know, have them come back and train. And you start to build that feel that this is a NFL high level program. And I will say this, you know, another guy that's a good example. And we talked a little bit about this in the war room is, 
uh, Dylan Riola. This is a kid that has an NFL background. His dad played in the league. He is looking at this very seriously. And we mentioned in the podcast last week uh, him at the Steve Clarkson camp and how serious he was and going out there, throwing the ball around, throwing the ball to Brandy Ninas, the wide receiver out of Florida that USC was recruiting hard. And he was there on a business trip. He was there to get better. And, you know, the feeling was at that point in time, USC is a great school. Los Angeles is cool. It's a lot of fun, but it's not serious. This is not a serious program. And one of the things that Pete Carroll had to battle against somewhat initially is, you know, yeah, you can have fun and you can enjoy yourself and, and live in a nice city in a nice area with a lot of conveniences and still win a lot of football games and get drafted. Right. And, and his approach to running a football team philosophically, very different than Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley has closed everything down. They're super secretive. There's a lot of examples I could give where it's just like over the top. And it's like, dude, you know, I don't know if that's really the vibe. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. And I only have that opinion because I saw Pete Carroll do it. And I saw Pete Carroll open practices and use that use that that the the interest and the attention and the buzz to his advantage because it desensitized those teams. There were no big games for those USC teams. I mean, everything was big. I mean, it's like, hey, this practice is a little stale. It's a little boring. Well, hey, Will Ferrell's here and and he's going to play a joke on everybody. He was always trying to keep his team on his toes and he used LA. He used Southern California and everything that comes with it to his advantage to propel the team forward and keep them focused. Listen, there's going to be distractions all over the place. And even on Saturdays, there's going to be distractions. But you are going to be desensitized to that because I'm going to put that volume knob up at 11, and it's going to stay there. We're not going to do this thing where we go, okay, it's practice time, everybody. Let's turn it down to two and let's focus. Okay, it's going to be like a study hall now. And then it comes out, and you're playing Alabama in Jerry World, and it's at a freaking 12. And it's like, oh, my God. What is going on? These people and all these cameras and everything. Oh, I don't know what to do. See, that was not what Pete Carroll wanted. So I've seen a guy almost win three straight national championships and give zero Fs about who showed up to practice. Man, you could be the UCLA defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and you could pull up to the scrimmage and they'd be like, hey, come on in. They didn't care. It was like, we're going to kick your ass anyways. And so this is a very different approach from Lincoln Riley. And I'm not saying, it, it won't work. I'm not here to pontificate and make some prediction, but I'm saying it's totally different. And in terms of using, you know, the sort of distractions and, and everything that's going on, they've gone away from that. You know, they've gone in the other direction. And to be fair, that's the same direction that Alabama has gone and, and some of these other programs where, you know, they, they don't even have parents showing up to practices and they completely close it down. So I think that's something that's going to be interesting to watch going forward. You know, do they continue to take that approach? And is that approach the right approach in Southern California, right? At Norman, Oklahoma, different city, different vibe, different town, different football program. You know, can you do that here? And is it sort of, you know, biting off your nose to spite your face to, to, to sort of lock it down the way they have? Spider face, as I like to say. Question number two from Andrew A. Do you think that CLR actually cares about building a fence around L.A.? He has so many relationships, ties nationally, that it seems like he will look past a good player in L.A. in order to swing for the fences nationally. And if so, 
do you think this is a misguided effort on its part? Do you ever hear resentment locally in that regard? I haven't heard any resentment locally yet, uh, but I do think he does understand that he does need to put somewhat of a fence around L.A. because he has a ridiculous, fertile recruiting ground and talent pool out here in Southern California. I don't think he's dumb in the sense that he doesn't think he can win without recruiting L.A. hard. Yeah, same thing here. I I haven't heard... um... At this point, you know, anybody feeling like USC is overlooking players, and it's very early, obviously, in the recruiting process, uh, but most of the guys that have turned down USC, it's not because that coaching staff under Lincoln Riley haven't recruited them. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the most part, it's just they've grown up watching USC lose and be sort of irrelevant in the national scheme of things. And so they're looking at Ohio State. They're looking at Alabama. They're looking at playing in SEC football because they believe the SEC is the the sure ticket to get to the NFL. So, yeah, I don't think anybody is really, uh, from a recruiting circle standpoint, uh, feels like USC is overlooking players. Um, I don't think that Lincoln Riley is um, dismissive of local talent. Um, Certainly, you know, with the transfer portal, that makes things interesting because that's always going to sort of be a national thing, right? Um, we'll see what happens with the Big Ten and the new conference because, you know, if the Pac-10 stays together as is, as we look at it, you know, today, minus UCLA and USC, then it will become somewhat of a feeder program for USC and U- UCLA. And you will have guys that go to Oregon State and guys that go to Utah, Colorado, wh- whoever's in the pac Ten at that point, and it will be okay. So you had a really good freshman year, you had a breakout sophomore year, got some awards. Now you want to come on the big stage. Now you want to play on the big stage because this is the big stage. This is the big national conference. It's the SEC, and it's whatever becomes of the Big Ten. And you'll see somewhat of a farm system develop from that, and you'll see that with other conferences as well. Um, but it does you know, bring up the question again, you know, how much do you recruit out of the portal as, as to going into the high school ranks and projecting players and going after those guys. And certainly I would hope that when you're going in after high school players, you do sort of look locally first and you really try to project and do your homework with local players. And, you know, that's tough. I I think the last staff, absolutely got enamored with recruiting Texas and it, it didn't get them very far. And we said it at the time, we mentioned it many, many times and going into East Texas after guys that are three stars and trying to reinvent them because they're from Texas and oh my gosh, Texas football is so great. And it is great, but you, you're, you're, you're going there trying to reinvent yourself because kids locally know what you're about. And they know that you're not doing a good job of recruiting you're not doing a good job of developing talent and you're not doing a good job of even using the personnel that you do have and so the word gets around you're just not doing a very good job in general and those local players are going to go other places and like i said la players southern california players california players in general will call your bluff and they will go across the country this is not (laughs) the rural south this is not corn-fed um midwest kids out here have families in other places a lot of times. And so they, they are not uh, afraid 
to jump on a plane. But at the same time, there's a lot of guys that want to be able to stay here and play in front of their families and, and play locally. And uh, you've got two big time high school football programs that show you that, you know, the, the, the talent in California is enough uh, to, to, to be dominant on that level. And certainly you have to get more players to be dominant at the college level, but it's still only a, 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 a roster of 85 guys on scholarship. And you've got four years to put that together. So, you know, despite all the talk of demographics and, oh, you know, there's there's not enough good players out here anymore, et cetera. I think there's some positions that certainly you have to go out of state more for those impact, impact players. You're not going to get those guys maybe every three, four years in California. But that's sort of the cherry picking that you do, you know, going out of state for guys that are impact players. And USC is a national name. And so you can do that. But you kind of have to build it. Uh, the, the foundation definitely has to be local. And if you are not going to do that and build that fence, then it's probably going to come back to bite you. Question number three. I don't really remember all of the traction visits that took place last spring, but it feels like USC is getting their foot in the door with a lot of very good players nationally and getting to visit campus. Are you seeing things NIL wise that have changed at USC for this cycle or is it merely that there's more interest in the program now that they have proof of concept? Ironically, it feels like they're getting really good defensive players to visit. And the proof of concept on defense that USC showed last year was bad. So just wondering how to reconcile this uptick in visitors. I wouldn't necessarily say it's NIL because obviously USC is kind of in a changing of the guard when it comes to their NIL strategy with the Tommy group and the death of Boulevard and all that. And I would say it's definitely more so to do with the proof of concept, as we've talked about uh, many times on this show, that USC won 11 games. They had a Heisman winner. They went to the Pac-12 championship. They won win away from a college football playoff berth. And this was all after a god-awful four-win season in 2021. It's absolutely proof of concept. Kids like to see winning, and USC won 11 games last year. They were on the cusp of doing something historic last year. And all that goes well in hand when you have a very good recruiting staff under Lincoln Riley. So all those things together, I think that's why you're seeing more respect being put on USC in terms of national players coming to visit and getting all these players to come and check out campus and take those quote-unquote traction visits. And they're getting it done earlier, as we've seen with the Holy Hour and as Gerard mentioned uh, maybe an hour ago, how he thinks that this summer their official visits will be more about closing the deal as opposed to last season, which was trying to close the deal with some guys and also a lot of traction visits as well. I'm going to kind of disagree with you. I think that they got plenty of traction visits last spring as well. I think Lincoln Riley's name alone actually got them quite a few unofficial visitors. And so it's an uptick, I think, because you have more organized dates where they're bringing in a bunch of guys at the same time. But last year, you got to remember Cedric Baxter, he he took an unofficial visit to USC, loved uh, Kyle McDonald and, and loved that, you know, he kept recruiting him uh, even when he turned down Utah and wasn't interested in Utah. Kyle McDonald stayed on him. He's a guy that took an unofficial visit to USC. Ruben Owens was at USC unofficially uh, actually, the summer before, Mark Fletcher was a guy um, that uh, committed to Ohio State, ended up at Miami. He was a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, that took an unofficial visit to USC. Jaden Lamar, running back out of Washington, committed to Oregon, was a guy that uh, that took an unofficial visit 
to USC, but, you know, ended up elsewhere. Uh, there are quite a few players in that 2023 class that were top players that did take unofficial visits to USC. I mean, Hakeem Williams was another guy. Brendan Enos, obviously, we talked about him uh, before. Um, there's quite a few guys, but there were those guys that when you actually got to that big weekend, that was when you start to go, okay, so who are the real interested players that USC has done enough to, you know, get you really, I think you want to be in that top three. If you're talking about a guy you're going to close with, you're talking about top two or three at that point. They've got high interest in your football program. If you're top five, top seven, and you manage to get an official visit, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are close to closing with that particular player. And so that's the, the group that you start looking at as traction visitors on an unofficial visit, right? So we're talking about the difference between unofficial during the spring and the official visits during the summer. A guy like Jalen Hale, right? The long, if you five-star wide receiver that had unofficially visited USC before and then came back for the official visit. And that was still a traction visit. That was still a guy that we felt, okay, <laughs> not, not looking like USC is, is, is a leader among these leaders at this point. Another guy that was very much like, I want to go see LA. And it wasn't necessarily, I want to go see USC. Anthony Hill, another guy, number one linebacker in the nation, five-star uh, from Ryan Denton, Texas, uh, a guy that ended up uh, committing to Texas after he committed to Texas A&M. And was another guy that, you know, hey, big time player, but didn't really have a lot to say about USC and, and knew the staff mostly from Oklahoma and was coming in as a guy that you're just trying to get more than your foot in the door. You got your foot in the door if he's coming on campus for an official visit, but you want to have more and you want to kind of push your way in there. And that was what USC was basically trying to do. But, you know, there were other guys that, you know, USC did get committed that I think you could argue were traction type recruits or, or recruits taking traction type visits. I mean, you could argue David Peavy might've been one of those guys, not so much because USC wasn't in his top three. Cause I think really, I mean, he only had a few schools he was looking at uh, through the process and it ended up coming down to really Washington, Oregon and USC. But I think Oregon had a big enough lead going into his official visit and really even coming out of his official visit that you could say USC had to try, they had to make up, some ground there and they had to get some traction in his visit and pushing forward, you know, into the season where everybody's like, okay, he's going to commit to Oregon. He's going to admit to Oregon. He's going to commit to Oregon. And he never quite did. There was a bit of a snafu where he was going up there on his official visit. I believe it was supposed to be for his birthday weekend, or maybe it was his mom's birthday. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Oregon sort of balked and we're like, yeah, we're not taking official visits during the season. We want to focus on the games and we want to host a bunch of recruits. And David Peavy just got a bad vibe from that. And it ended up being there was a little bit of communication between the coaches and they weren't really sure if they wanted to have him in on an official visit that date or not. And he said, you know what? I feel good about USC. And I went to USC on an official visit and they 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 love me up too. That 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 makes the choice easier for me. And he commits to USC. So there were some guys, you know, that they I think needed to get some some traction with that they were able to get and then able to go ahead and close the deal and land those players. So um, it's uh, I think this year, as Chris said, and we've talked about before, you're going to have more guys on the closing side and probably less guys on the traction side. And the traction visits do come during the spring. 
But it's not to say that there is a huge uptick because, like I said, I, I can list quite a few guys last spring that did come to USC on unofficial visits, guys that never came for official visits. And the final question from Andrew A, if you were to guess, do you think that USC is meeting Lincoln Riley's expectations in terms of being able to build a better roster than he could at Oklahoma? Or do you think the hole that USC was in and possibly the monetary investment in the program was a bigger gap than initially realized? Thanks, as always, Andrew A. If I had to guess, I would say they are meeting expectations. You know, there was the the hint in our postseason talk with Lincoln Riley about, you know, possible or future uh, facility upgrades coming, you know, things still being worked out. I think that's the big key to it all, because that was something that was talked about when he was initially hired, that you heard that this was part of the deal. So we'll see what that's what's going on with there as, as time moves forward. And also, you know, moving to the Big Ten, there's money is not going to be an issue moving forward with the TV contracts and buy a payouts that they're going to be getting from the new conference. So I don't think monetary investment is going to be an issue, especially moving forward with Big Ten money about to start rolling in off the dump truck. The only thing that makes me wary to agree with everything you said is the Tight. monetary investment in the program and where NIL comes into play there because we've already seen USC sort of fumble around NIL and they had the boulevard launch and now that's sort of there but we're not really sure what the model and, and philosophy of boulevard is going to be going forward it doesn't sound like it's probably even going to be boulevard maybe it might relaunch as another name um you have the Tommy group now that has emerged so monetarily obviously there's investment in the program from the outside in it's private school so all of the investment into the football program tends to be outside in for USC. You know, where is that? We've heard frustration from that side of sources that maybe the fan base and the boosters are not uh, as motivated to put money into NIL as maybe other programs. Now, again, we have to look at the model and the Boulevard model was Boulevard is the middleman in that model. And you're asking these boosters to give their money to this person. And then there's sort of an overhead and then it gets to the players. And at first it seemed like, um, who, and like, how do I make it specifically for this player? And, and there was not necessarily, um, clarity there initially. And then they tried to clarify that and, and, and try to you know, do some things, I think to instill more confidence in the booster base, but I don't know if they ever really did. So that still sort of remains a little bit uh, a vague and, and in terms of the investment of the program and what Lincoln Riley thinks of that and what Lincoln Riley thinks of the, the situation as a whole with NIL and NIL support. Um, obviously, he's going to say, you know, whatever needs to be said publicly, but behind closed doors, there's definitely been some um, things that I've heard. So we're, we're going to have to see how that goes moving forward. Um, I do think in terms of expectations roster-wise, he was extremely confident when he came to USC. I mean, I was like, dude, Lincoln, bro, let's 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 chill. Uh, you don't Pump need to get out there and talk about how we're going to win now. You, you don't need to do that. You have credibility. You have what Clay Helton never, ever, ever had. You got a resume. You got a Rolodex. You can flex that and say, be patient. Take your time. I've done it in another place. And that always 
it 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 culminates in patience from the fan base to some extent. But he was having none of that. He said, "We're going to win now. We're going to win right away." And obviously, he felt probably like he would do well in the transfer portal. You get Caleb Williams, you get Marvin Williams on board, and you feel like, okay, you know, this roster. And we said this, Ryan and I. I know we talked about this on the podcast years ago. USC talent wise. Although you're going to hear how they don't have any more talent anymore. And a lot of that is, you know, behind the scenes excuses coming from prior staffs because they're not winning games. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to say, yeah, I suck as a coach. Or you're going to say, oh, we don't have any more talent. It doesn't matter. It's both on you. You're either not recruiting guys or you're not coaching them. <laughs> you know, you, you, you have to get one or the other. Right. Um, but, you know, if you're a new coach, you can say, well, these guys, I didn't recruit these guys. These aren't my guys, you know. Uh, as an assistant coach. And so there was a little bit of that going on, but we knew that there was still talent in the program. It's hard to not have a pretty talented team among the most talented teams in the conference. If you're USC, like you have to be absolutely horrible to, to not accidentally get some good players. I think that he was confident having probably kind of looked at the roster and maybe watched some film. I don't know how, in depth, he went into researching the roster, but he clearly was very, very confident. And give him all the credit in the world. He kind of called his shot and he turned around and he won 11 games. And nobody, I mean, nobody seriously was expecting him to win 11 games. So when he talks now that you have that proof of concept and you have those 11 games under your belt, and he's as confident as he is, and he's talking about the defense is going to improve. Uh, by leaps and bounds, uh, that's not a quote, but basically implying that and feeling like, hey, you know what, we're ahead of schedule and we're going to go out there and we're we're going to be a great football team. You you kind of believe it now. It's like, it's, dude, he knew uh, before he actually took over and 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 really could get on the field with his football players that he had a pretty decent roster and he feels like going forward, they're going to get better. This is actually interesting because I talked and and I mentioned this earlier to Peyton Waters and Peyton had made his unofficial visit to USC. And so we were kind of talking a little bit about practice. Now, Peyton Waters is one of those recruits that actually has some background with USC. You know, he's watched USC growing up and he knows about USC. So he's not one of those players. And we've interviewed quite a few here uh, just this year that just don't watch football. You know, some guys that you know, you talk to like Xavier Jordan, a wide receiver uh, that was at Cathedral last year. He's transferred over to Sierra Canyon. Um, uh, Braden Platt is another player, the linebacker out of Washington. He was down here uh, for the seven on seven tournament. And both those guys sit flat out like I just don't watch football. I don't really know much about USC in terms of history. I know they got Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley was like a good coach. But I, I mean, I've just been told that I don't really watch football very much. Peyton Waters watches a lot of football and he knows something about Lincoln Riley. And so when that move was made, he was very interested in it. And he said, you know, they, they definitely exceeded expectations last year. And he said, what I was kind of surprised by is them exceeding expectations of the practice and the defense and watching the defense. He said it was run very smoothly. And, you know, obviously we saw that from the team last spring in the spring game, uh, we saw the offense run incredibly smoothly considering all the new players, uh, and considering, you know, the new coaching staff and everything, you know, no penalties. I think there's one penalty uh, and, and it just was like boom, boom, boom. And everything just ran much smoother than we've seen for years, probably going all the way back to Pete Carroll. And so he basically implied that 
on the defensive side of the ball and said, you know, Alex Grinch really handled things well. <clears throat> he knows what he wants. The play calls were good. I watched the communication between the players. And whenever there was a mistake, boom, they were on it. And it was little things. It was, you know, getting in their ear and talking about little things and how little things become big things on defense. And so it was interesting. You know, he liked what he saw. He liked the rotation of the players. Um, you know, he mentioned Damani Jackson uh, being a guy that, you know, he kind of knew about coming up. Uh, Kalen Bullock, you know, a Pasadena kid. Uh, so, you know, knows a little bit about him as well. And he was watching that safety position. He's 6'2", 170 pounds, really long player. And a guy that USC likes is another one of those kind of quasi could maybe play corner, probably play safety type of players, which USC kind of just seems to be recruiting a ton of, you know, a lot of those type of guys that are free safety coverage type safeties that they're going to move around all over their defense. Um, but that was one of those things where like his review and analysis of the team he, he said that just the practice itself exceeded expectations from a defensive standpoint. And he knew what they did last year and the struggles last year. And he felt, yeah, this, this is a team that's like, they're, they're, they're serious about winning an actual championship. And so that goes back to what I was saying about Dylan Riola and him coming back out here after having unofficially visited USC last year. And then he turned around and commit to Ohio state. A lot of what I was hearing background was, was man, Ohio state, man, that's a, that's a pro type program. Like they got it under, they've got pro experience. They've got just, you know, serious. It's, it's a sort of straightforward, you know, there's not a lot of distraction. That is a, you know, not again to put words in anybody's mouth, but I got the sense it was like, it's a football factory. Like we're here to do one thing and that's win championships and get you to the NFL. And that's what he wanted to hear. And USC was a little more like, Hey man, this great place with the great education and the beach and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I don't care about that. I'm not here for that. I'm here win football games and get to the NFL. And I think the second time around, the second visit, I think USC demonstrated a little more of like, look at, we're all about that too. We want to win championships. We want to develop you for the NFL. And God knows there's not too many quarterback coaches, head coaches in the country that has done a better job, that has a better resume when it comes to that. But by the way, we're going to win games. And now we have those 11 games. You've seen what the offense is going to do. In, at USC, and now we just we need to get the defense there to balance it out a little more. And if we get there, we're going to be one of the best programs in the country year in and year out. Gerard, that is going to wrap up listener questions and effectively end this podcast. I just want to let you know we did a horrible job. We did not set the record. We did not speed run this at all because of those questions there at the end. We're actually pushing close to two hours, so quite wow. impressive. Quite impressive that we were still able next to. Time, next time you gotta you gotta uh, equip the self revive to keep it moving a little more. You know your DPS build. It's just it lacks a little bit, Chris. You know time to yeah. kill. Time to kill. Yeah, I I agree with you. My my build was terrible. It was just all wrong for this mission. And I apologize. I apologize to the fans that uh, wanted you know that shorter episode, but uh, we let them down, Gerard. But maybe next time we'll be better. You know. Well, we did come through for our guys up there in Fresno and Bakersfield and Visalia that drive down six hours every day to work in Burbank. Absolutely. And we'll next time we'll have a lot more to talk about Gerard from Pylon seven, maybe some March madness. Gerard, do you watch March madness at all? Are you even, I know you made one basketball reference on the show and I'll never let you live it down. Are you, do you watch March madness? I watch very casually. I'm a, I'm a, filthy i'm the filthiest type of casual basketball watcher there is and i've displayed that many times i think on the podcast that i just 
Yeah, I've kind of, you know, ever since uh, they broke up the Bulls, man, and Michael retired, I just kind of lost interest. And all the high school players came in. They couldn't shoot from the outside, couldn't pass, couldn't play defense, and I lost interest. But it, the game's better now. The, the, I, I'll admit the game has, has gotten better over the years, and I kind of you thought about, like, maybe, you know, watching a little more basketball here and there. But I've never actually been that big into college basketball. I'm more of the pros, but, uh, yeah, filthy, filthy – Homeless casual, just absolutely disgustingly. I need a, I need a shower. I'm so casual when it comes to watching basketball. The filthiest casual you'll ever see when it comes to basketball. But we don't talk basketball. We talk recruiting on this podcast. Gerard, thank you for joining me for another episode of Composites Who Are Two Star Recruits. Thank you for joining us. This has been another edition of Composites Two Star Recruits. I am Chris. That is Gerard. And we will catch you next time. Jeff Leopard sucks!